so i'm just i'm also just trying to understand this so um you sat across the guy who who basically started grow sorry at the time was he operational or was it still just an idea that he wants to go and test out uh in the philippines yeah so very interestingly so uh he actually moved to unilever because he uh wanted a bit of extra time like more free time to be able to explore ideas so um i know yeah so um for those of you who who don't know fmcg too well but uh these companies like unilever yeah it can be stressful day to day but uh they're basically really well oiled machines uh Mm. you know you kind of get a much better work-life balance than um other uh, professions So basically, uh, he moved um, to give himself some thinking space. So, you know, there were a lot of times when he was just there uh, sitting at lunch, uh, thinking, drawing stuff, etc. kind of got to understand what he was thinking about. And basically to raise the first round of money, um, they had done some experiment um, in the Philippines already. So basically they were testing, uh, like the original idea for grocery was like, uh, we were going to be point of sales for GT stores. So, so GT stores were going to scan uh, things they sell, and you know you can use the data and sell it. And, mm. But basically, the idea had fallen flat because uh, you go and pitch it to investors, and they're like, "Listen, what do you know? How does it work?" Uh, Etc. But then, actually, what he did was um, uh, the so- co-founders decided to. Um, do kind of like an MVP. So they actually built a very basic scanning system and they went to the stores and they said, can you go scan this for a few days? Uh, can you scan everything you sell, etc.?" And all the stores said, absolutely not. And <laughs> the reason why they said no was because they thought we were work. Well, they thought uh, the co-founders at the time uh, they thought they were working with the tax authorities and they wanted to track oh. how much they were selling, etc. So they learned really quickly why it's not a good idea. But actually how the story goes is they then took that feedback back to the investors and they say, listen, I've seen enough. You know how to test your idea, execute something in market. Sure, it didn't work out perfectly, but this is the right kind of momentum and stuff you need to do. They then got some money for funding and yeah, they said, okay, Let's go do it. We have a year or two. Uh, let's see uh, if we can make it work. And that same process about how we were wrong about the POS being the way in. We were wrong many, many other times. But, you know, just keep moving, iterating, changing, uh, etc. And the model evolved. So I just, I mean, I have, I have two questions because, I mean, some people, especially... Uh, South African listeners might not really know what Grocery is. So I don't know if you can just describe for us um, what the company actually does, just like as in, as it stands right now, um, from a sparser point of lens, because it's the same thing actually in the Philippines, from my understanding. Uh, and then I had a follow-up question to that as well. Yeah, sure. The um, Yeah, so in the Philippines, they have a very big, what we call general trade. Uh, sure. economy so that's what in south africa would be uh you know your spaza shops uh etc um what makes them very unique though is spaza shops typically are run by 
entrepreneurs, actually um, Sari Sari stores in the Philippines are just run by housewives who are at home looking after their family. Literally people, oh, wow. they, carve out a, they carve out a hole in the wall of their house, put some grating up, and then they sell through that hole. So um, that's how Sari Sari stores uh, operate. And basically, mm-hmm. it's the most convenient way to buy anything because if it's your neighbor, it's literally like imagine a 7-Eleven or a convenience store, a petrol station, but mm. literally next door. So there's like a phrase here. Uh, I mean, it's not the direct translation, but it's literally like a Sari Sari store is like, it's basically your pantry without you needing a pantry. If you need anything, you can just go to the house next door and buy it. And it's a really massive part of the, it's a really massive part of the economy. So about 60 to 65% of retail sales go through them. So it's really, really massive, um, but it gets really very little attention because it's unglamorous, it's informal, it's unstructured, mm-hmm. etc. And basically, if you're in uh, an FMCG context, like a Unilever or an Nestle or a P&G or something, how you sell to these is usually through distributors. So you basically hire a salesman who goes store by store and places orders, and then you pay for a delivery truck to go drop the orders. And mm. basically, the problem is that model is very expensive because uh, the margin on consumer goods, so like toothpaste, chips, all of this is not very high because it's fast moving. Mm. So generally you earn money from selling it a lot of times rather than doing uh, not like a camera or like a fashion or something where you buy it once, but you make a lot of money with each transaction, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually very interesting why a lot of the big e-commerce companies started uh, like Amazon started with books high margin why mm. like Zalando with fashion and you know like all of these etc so um, basically the companies have uh, they had a real struggle because to find stores big enough to distribute to directly uh, was really tough and basically they could they were big businesses but they were only reaching the biggest 10 to 15 percent the remaining 80 or so percent uh, have to basically pay for a uh, a tricycle so a tricycle is just like a three-wheeled motorbike uh, you pay for a tricycle you go to a wholesaler which is something like a macro something a little bit more informal you stock up everything you need for your store you pay the tricycle to get it back and you go drop and you go back to your store reopen and you sell your stuff but obviously because they are generally housewives and moms who are looking after children it's really a hassle for them like I have to close my store so I'm not making sales. Someone has to look after the kids for me because mm. I'm going out, etc. So really, really impractical. Um, so we really saw there was like this huge um, opportunity. And there was inherently a big tension there. It's like for Unilever, Nestle, P&G, this was their biggest retail channel. But the actual individual retailers were who are the Sari Sari store owners are not really earning a lot. They're not selling a lot. They're making very small margins. Uh, actually, most of them are earning way below minimum wage. Um, yeah. And that's a huge disconnect. Like, if you were in any other industry or any other form of retailer, and I told you you owned a store as part of the largest retail network in the country, you would be expecting that you would be coining it, right? Yeah. Like, 
So <laughs> really, really big uh, disconnect. And then basically what we came up with, our model is like we think e-commerce is the way one way to solve this. So basically what we do is we aggregate all the manufacturers and uh, we let the stores place uh, orders on an app. So like imagine like a B2B take a lot for Sari Sari. Sure. So what okay. they do is they place the order uh, in the app. They can choose from like 400, 500 different items that they want, all the stuff they usually sell. And then if they order before a certain time, they get free next day uh, delivery. So oh, instead of them paying for the tricycle, um, we uh, we take the order, we deliver it uh, next day, um, and they don't have to close the store. They don't need someone to look after uh, their kids anymore. And because suddenly we can aggregate the orders from hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of stores, uh, we can go directly to the manufacturers and you know negotiate deals for volume, yeah. etc. So suddenly it's cheaper than those stores you used to go to, and you're getting it without having to pay for transport and it's being delivered. So I don't know if you remember uh, back in the day, like the first time you ever did like an e-commerce order and like how easy it made your life. Imagine that moment, kind of that moment of magic for, you know. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, owner. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying that. Imagine that kind of moment for, uh, sorry, sorry, owner has been doing business, you know. And And these are owners who who might not have even used a smartphone before. Um, mm. So like they, they definitely are not exposed to, uh, you know, the typical uh, luxuries of e-commerce, et cetera. So bringing that same value proposition to them. And that's basically the base model, how we form the relationships. And uh, in terms of our vision of helping them earn more and more and more, uh, we, I mean, one part is we help them get better prices, but the reality is there's only so much we can do with better pricing. If I get you 5% mm. better pricing, you're really, you're not going to get much closer to doubling your income. Where we really make a difference in our store's lives is then once they have that app, they have the logistics, they have someone coming to their store to uh, drop off an order, collect the cash for the order, etc. We then build new products on top of that. So um, that can be like if we want to turn them into payment centers uh, or we want to sell ready-to-eat meals uh, there, if we want them to sell airtime load, if we want them mm. to sell micro-insurance, et cetera. So what do we do is we help expose them or like help them set up all these additional revenue streams uh, that they can earn from using the same infrastructure. So if there needs to be an interface, we put it in the app. If there needs to be cash collection or any logistics, we use our existing truck that's delivering the FMCG to do it. Um, yeah, and we we basically uh, hook them up to uh, a lot a lot of the big brands here, yeah, the big e-commerce players, so they can be pick up and drop off points. Uh, we let them do bills processing. So if you want to pay your electricity, you want to top up your phone, uh, you can do that, uh, etc. We have uh, ordering assistance. So basically, if you want to order a cell phone, basically they can help you place an order from it and get commissions, which is the same model i used back in my varsity days yeah, yeah. sounds very so, familiar now. <laughs> yeah. so um basically all these new revenue streams and um that's basically my role in grocery as uh working on product um basically developing these new revenue streams with the ultimate goal for how do we help these stores uh you know double the income and it's kind of a win-win-win 
for everyone because um, stores earn more. These companies we partner with, whether these be uh, telco companies, billers, etc., they just want to reach, right? So mm. suddenly they're, I didn't mention this, but I mean, there are 1.1 million Sari Sari stores in the Philippines for a country of 100 million people. So for every 100 people, there's one of these stores. So it is, there are a lot of them absolutely everywhere. So uh, if you go to businesses, they're all looking for distribution, reach, etc. So mm. the fact we have a network of thousands of stores um, becomes super compelling to them and they're willing to pay for that distribution because if you're selling food rather than having to um, set up your own distribution force or set up physical restaurants, for example, uh, mm. you can just open it up in these existing uh, Sari Sari stores. And yeah, we, uh, we then manage that network and how it all interacts uh, with each other. So the way I like to kind of explain it to people is think of how Airbnb um, is like this largest hotel chain in the world, but there's no actual mm. physical hotel rooms. It just, connect, it just connects individual people's rooms. We're mm. like, we're like the largest, we, well, I mean, our ambition is, but we want to be the largest retail network where we don't actually own any of the stores. We're like a 7-Eleven uh, network or like a Caltex garage network, or mm. uh, however you want to call it, like largest convenience store network without actually having to own all the properties. Mm. Um, and we just have the infrastructure, the, um, the tech that helps power all these transactions, whether that be um, you know, the products they sell, uh, the distribution, the elect um, all those different services, uh, et cetera. And then we basically operate the platform that manages uh, the flows between all the companies on the one side and all the stores on the other, and then manage the overall relationship with the store. So from f from that, I mean, because you love your commission, you obviously take a cut of that similar to your Ubers and your Airbnbs, I assume. Yeah, so we, uh, okay. we, we take a cut of the different uh, commissions, but we um, what's the key part in our business model is we don't actually take the commission from the store so stores get this all for free um what we do is we actually take uh payment from the companies so for mm. example when we're distributing fmcg products to them we give the companies access to data abilities to run promos and then they pay to fund all of that and then we reinvest that into a cut for ourselves into more margin for the stores uh etc when companies uh when companies come to us and they say, I want all your outlets to allow people to top up my my networks at time. We say, okay, fair enough, but then you need to give a cut to us and a, enough of a cut to uh, the store. So that's yeah. how it works. Whereas typically the Uber model is, you know, someone has to lose in that equation. And it generally is uh, the driver who gets the driver, a lot of yeah. wear and tear on their car, uh, etc., What's what's really great in uh, our model that I really like is like we really align the incentives in terms of companies are actually paying for reach, which is of value to them. So they will mm. take that investment. It's almost like everyone in the value chain is actually winning. There's no loser, as you said. It's a win-win well, everyone, which is well. Well, there are there are middlemen who are getting cut out. So there, there. I mean, there has to be 
a loss from somewhere. So like I mentioned before, these stores are currently sourcing from somewhere middle in middle in the chain, but that middle of the chain is not really adding a lot of value. They're taking mm. a big cut. Uh, they're not giving the manufacturers any visibility of data, of sales, etc. Um, and ultimately, the stores who are trying to sell your products are not getting, you know, the best prices they can. So mm. when, when you're sitting as a brand manager, I'm sure you have this stress all the time. But you know, you're like, it's meant to sell for nine rand. Why oh, are you yes. it for nine rand? Yeah. It's because it's because to get that product to the store, everyone is taking a cut out of mm. that little margin that you left, and there's basically very little left for. Uh, the small person at the end, unfortunately. So that's, we're trying to use technology to democratize that whole process uh, in a way.